time for Bookmarks, our Wednesday tradition, where we invite a prominent New Zealander in to uh, share some of their favourite things with us and tell us their stories. Uh, to kick off 2024, we've got a very special guest whose work has improved countless lives here, but um, particularly overseas. She is Trade Aid co-founder Vi Cottrell. She and her husband Richard established the not-for-profit in 1973 to encourage trade between New Zealand and underdeveloped countries. That means it was the 50th birthday of Trade Aid last year. We've been looking forward to speaking with her to get to know the woman behind the mission. Vi, welcome to Afternoons. <laughs> Tell me about yourself in 1973. What sort of person were you? Uh, naive is the first word that comes <laughs> to mind. I um, had a very sheltered upbringing, and, um, and then I went and lived in India with the family for two years, and that changed everything for did me. It? Yes, it did. It really did. Once you've seen it for yourself, it's hard to ignore, huh? Yeah, I think you can, in an intellectual way, you can understand poverty, you can understand people who are refugees, who are deprived of everything that was important to them. But when you actually live amongst them and you get to know them as people, it's a whole different thing. And your privileged lifestyle, beside what's happened to them, is something that really um, cuts home. How did a farmer's daughter from Banks Peninsula end up doing two years in <laughs> India in the early 70s? That sounds pretty radical. Uh, I suppose she married a radical man, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a lawyer, but um, not perhaps your average lawyer, and certainly not in those days. Um, we went to India for an adventure. We had two little children. He had a partnership. Um, I was not great at the domestic scene and and this was a real adventure we didn't go with a mission in mind mm. at all it was a selfish move and um, it panned out wonderfully really yeah well, how did trade aid lead from there how did it all happen when we were in India, um, Richard was a consultant to an organisation that was resettling um, Tibetan refugees. And um, the having a source of income was a crucial thing. All the kind of factories and, and industries that had been set up to employ people fell on their faces because... Um, the Tibetans were not business people. They didn't understand contracts. They stopped work to have a puja for three weeks when it was time to do that. But they did um, have amongst them really clever carpet weavers and weavers. And so my job was to sell the carpets overseas to find markets for them. Mm. And when we came back to New Zealand, that was the clear way that we had that we could help the people that we had met. And so we set about um, importing Tibetan carpets and ran up against license restrictions, mm. which stopped us in our tracks, really, after one um, small preparatory exhibition, which was sold out in 10 minutes. Uh, we knew we had something yeah. really good, mm. but it was yeah, it was a bit more of a protectionist environment with imports back in the early seventies, I imagine. 
Oh, it was. Everything was subject to licence, and we couldn't um, set up an importing business ourselves to get licences. So Richard came up with the idea of a not-for-profit organisation that could get round this difficulty because the government of the time um, was sympathetic to us. And so Trade Aid was born, and we got our licences and we were away running. Mm. We'll talk some more about the 50 years, but you're also here to choose a few of your favourite things. And you came round to Leonard Cohen eventually. I did. And as soon as I um, got used to that gravelly voice, <laughs> um, I just couldn't leave it alone. Yeah. And we went, we went to his concert in Christchurch, um, his last one here, and it was magnificent. Great. You've uh, made a great choice here too. It's so long, Marianne, let it go on. <laughs> Come over to the window, my little darling. I'd like to try to read your poem. I used to think I was some kind of gypsy boy. Beside me now 
then why do I feel alone? I'm standing on a ledge and your fine spider web is fastening my ankle to a stone. Now so Cohen. Great track, Goodbye Marianne, or So Long Marianne, uh, chosen by Vi Cottrell, who's the founder of Trade Aid. We're hearing a bit about her journey and some of her favourite things today. You're a keen reader, Vi. I am. Um, that is probably my best pastime. Huh. <laughs> and you don't always reach for the same sort of book by the looks of things. No, Um I suppose my favourite books are ones that give you an insight into other cultures mm-hmm. um, and and that you learn something from, sometimes the history of the place um, where the novel or memoir is set, and sometimes just just the the way of life, the habits, the behaviours of people that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Mm. Nonetheless, you read plenty of New Zealand fiction as well. My wife's been reading Catherine Chidgey this summer, and <laughs> you enjoyed The X-Man's Carnival and, and the one before that, Remote Sympathy. I did, and um, I heard her at a writer's festival. She's such a lively, intelligent person with a great sense of humour, and I think The X-Man's Carnival is so clever because... As you probably know, she chooses a magpie as her narrator. Yeah. And and the whole story, which towards the end focuses on this carnival of axe chopping, you know, wood chopping, mm. which is a very New Zealand yeah. country, um, country show kind of thing. Um, there's this sense of, of doom that something bad is going to happen. There is, for example, a row of the nine axes that this farmer has won hanging over the bed in their bedroom, mm. which is odd. But it's it, it's lively because the magpie's sense of humour um, has very inappropriate comments all <laughs> the way through the narrative, just makes you laugh, and it lifts this feeling of discomfort. Yeah, I love her books because they have... Themes too. I mean, this is a farm where they're struggling and the farmer's unhappy and because he's unhappy, he takes it out on his wife. Mm. And when his wife actually comes up with a source of income because of the magpie, he's both happy and really furious about that. Mm. And somehow the whole thing just, it's very New Zealand and it's very clever. You get a lot out of the Word Festival in uh, in Christchurch each year. Yes, yes. Um, we've heard heard lots of people there, and then you you go and follow up by reading their books. Yeah. And 
put the two together. We're so lucky to have those festivals. I used to, actually before I did this job and I encounter so many books in this job, it, I sort of uh, managed to scratch that itch. But, um, you know, before I was doing it, to go along once a year, be surrounded by people who love books and to be exposed mm. to all these mm. brilliant minds, it, it's quite special. I think it you, is. I think you came across Patricia Grace there, did you? I did. Um, I think um, I've read every novel that she's written. And when I came to read her memoir um, from the centre, um, I realised um, that, that you know, she's not just a great novelist and poet, but she's the most amazing woman. Um, the energy of somebody who could, for example, with her husband, run a school... He was the janitor as well as the head teacher and everything else, somewhere in a remote place with six children at foot teaching full time. And then when she found that the children didn't understand the kind of Pākehā-orientated books that they were supposed to be reading, she wrote books for them to read and learn from. Um, and And... Yeah, uh, just the energy is frightening. And the work that she did, um, that they did together with the Marae in Wellington, I think, um, they raised the money for and caused it to be built and everything. Very, very interesting woman. And very interesting at the Writers' Festival talking about the way she grew up in a multicultural um, family with with intermixing of um, Pākehā and Māori people without yeah. any sort of stresses or yeah. or difficulties so that she, although she experienced racism herself because of where they chose to build a house and live, I think, um, she, she kind of was able to cope with it because of this family. Hmm. While we're speaking about great New Zealanders, shall we play some Kiri, Dame Kiri Takanoa? You've chosen a nice one here for us. Um, mm. How did you arrive at this piece of music? Um, probably by chance. Um, I do like Kiri, especially in her, you know, in her real prime. And um, I just thought these were the most beautiful songs, and her voice is superb in them. And uh, this is um, Bailero, I think. We'll just take a bit of it. It's uh, from Cantaloupe Songs of the Auvergne.
Kiri Kanawa. It's a choice of Vi Cottrell. Great to uh, play that beautiful music in the afternoon. Thank you, Vi. Uh, and we've got such a good list of books. I want to make sure we get through as many as possible. But on Trade Aid, is it, um, is it a special moment after 50 years to look back at, at how it started and, and what it's turned into? Yes, um, we've been doing quite a lot of that. Um, it's interesting to look back to the way we arrived at what our what our um, values would be, what kind of relationships we would have with our trading partners, and how we would relate to the public. And quite early on, we um, realised that if we wanted to change lives of the people making our products overseas, we needed to work on changing um, purchasing behaviour here and people's awareness of how trade can disadvantage people or how, if it's fair trade, well done, how it can actually change people's lives and whole communities for the better. Did so you, early did you, on, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, did you feel like you made some progress on on some of those issues? You know, over those yes, decades. I do. I I don't think we've done it by ourselves by any manner of means. But nowadays, um, if you talk to groups of people, um, especially young people, about trade related issues or issues of poverty, they they're on top of it. They know they know these things. Whereas in the old days, people's eyes used to glaze over when you mentioned the word trade. I mm. mean, that was, yes, it was um, different then. And we have worked hard at um, having an education program that would reach people, mainly our customers, through the shops, um, but on social media and, and so on as well. My guest earlier used to work in a trade aid store. He said uh, coffee was the big seller. Um, what about you? Is there one item that has um, done well over the years? Oh, there are lots of them, Jesse. But yes, I think coffee has been a star for us because we realised that if we were going to talk seriously about changing the way trade was done, we couldn't confine ourselves to handcrafts because that's um, kind of peripheral. So. We began in the 70s, um, actually we, it was 85 before we launched our Nicaraguan coffee, which was um, the first one. And, um, and that gave us um, a platform to really talk about how you could change the way you, you bought your coffee and how, mm. what people could do with the fair trade premium that they got from selling their coffee in this way. Let's talk about some of the other things that you've loved over the years. And you talked about how much you enjoy learning about other cultures through books. Tell me about The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shahan Karuna Tilaka. Well done. I just thought to myself, how silly to choose someone whose name I can't pronounce. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most astonishing book. It won the Booker Prize. it's it's extremely unusual because the narrator um, is dead and he's in a kind of place that he describes in one place as being um, a visa 
a waiting room for visas to the to the light the hereafter, yeah. the celestial visa department, and um, it's extremely funny, um, and has a jolly good dig at the church and every institution you could think of, particularly the government. But it's also brutal because it um, the narrator has been murdered and he has seven moons to discover who murdered him and why um, so that he can, can go into the light. And so that he sets about trying to find out when... It's all very difficult. He can't get from floor to floor on this building and people lead him astray. But through it all, we learn something of the history of Sri Lanka, which is a troubled and brutal place to go. Mm. Um, but without giving anything away, there is some kind of redemption at the end. <laughs> hmm. Um Arundhati Roy will be a writer that um, a lot of people know. I don't think um, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness is the most famous book, but um, tell me about this one. Yes, um, she always said that she wouldn't write um, another book after her first one, which was such a success. It was a wonderful book. Was that A Suitable Boy? No, no, no. God of Small Things, yeah. God of Small Things, yes. Um, and she's got a wonderful sense of humour, but she's a radical woman and has written a lot of essays about uh, about the big dams in India and what they do. And she's been to jail for protesting and all of that. And then she can write things that are really funny. And um, th- this book um, has its, at its heart the violent history of Kashmir. Um, the struggle against the Indian army, against invading so-called freedom fighters from other places, um, the poor versus the rich, the class issues, all of that. But um, the protagonists are um, a very strange collection of people who live in a, a slum and are they're trans people and um, and people that society frowns on in different ways. But they live they live productive and and um lives with heart, you know, and and humour. Yeah, it's it's an amazing book. But it's not everyone's it's not everyone's I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I was pleased that she um, decided to write another one. Yeah. We've just got time for Yesterday by the Beatles before we say goodbye. Um, Why have you chosen this one? It reminds me of my youth, I suppose. Um, Heady days, really, the days of the Beatles. I never heard them in person. Richard um, took his sister to a concert and he said he couldn't hear them singing because of all the screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Which um, is why they eventually stopped performing. Yeah, perhaps it was. I don't know. I mean, they just was was part of my youth, I guess. Great. Well, thank you for choosing this beautiful song and thank you so much. 
well, for your contribution to New Zealand and and, um, and for all the ways you've helped people overseas and, and helped connect us to them as well. Lovely to have you in the studio with us today, Vi. Thank you. I've enjoyed it, Jesse. Vi Cottrell, and we'll finish with Yesterday by The Beatles. Yesterday All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday Suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be There's a shadow hanging over me Oh, yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know, she wouldn't say I said Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Why she had to go, I don't know. She wouldn't say. Such an easy game to play I need a place to hide away